Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the third Sunday of Easter in year C. Our theme for this Easter season is victorious. So Easter Sunday itself is past, but the season of Easter is continuing. We celebrate it for seven weeks, and each week we rejoice in a different facet of the victory won by the risen Jesus. But we're doing more than simply watching from the sidelines as Christ marches in victory over sin, death, Satan, and hell. We're remembering and celebrating the fact that his victory is our victory too, and his life is our life, and we are actively living the new lives God has given us. The theme of the day for this third Sunday of Easter is Sight Marches Victorious Over Blindness. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and I'm moderating today. Uh, with me today is Pastor Paul Zell of Living Savior Lutheran Church in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and also Pastor Caleb Kerbis, who also serves Living Savior at their other campus in Asheville, North Carolina. And also with us today is Professor Aaron Christie, who teaches worship and homiletics at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Professor Christie is also Dean of Chapel, and he conducts the seminary chorus. So good to be with you all today as we uh, take a look at especially the second reading for today from Revelation as our sermon text, but we'll also be mentioning the other readings for the day too. So uh, Caleb, let's go first to you this third Sunday of Easter. Our theme is Sight Marches Victorious Over Blindness. So in your own words, can you just uh, summarize for us the, the main point you want worshipers in your church to go home with this week? Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, when we think of sight marches victorious over blindness, we might think that if a worshiper were to, were to glance at the worship cover, that it might have to do with um, in Jesus giving sight to somebody who was blind. But in this case, the fact that sight marches victorious over blindness, it's, there's a lot of deeper meanings behind those ideas of sight and blindness. So blindness can be, you know, the spiritual blindness, which we're going to see in various aspects in, in at least two of the lessons, but the, also the, the various ways or the various things that we mean when we talk about sight. Um, and with sight, it can mean things as far as uh, the, what we understand, um, how we perceive God, and also even how we perceive ourselves. So with sight marching victorious, there's much more than just what we see with our eyeballs, but how we are able to perceive the world. The word is to draw uh, from in, in eternity, and especially as it pertains to the, the text to study without feeling any thunder. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for that, Caleb. Let's go to kind of an overview of the uh, other scripture lessons then for today. Paul Zell, would you kind of lead us through those? Gladly, yeah. The, the gospel of the day is John 21, 1 to 14. Uh, Jesus has appeared to the 11. Now, this is seven here that are named, but he's appeared to the 11 on two previous occasions, the those Sunday evenings in Jerusalem. Uh, now, seven of them are fishing on the lake, and this man on the shore urges them to cast the net on the other side, and they do. And of course, they can't have this great catch of fish, 
this has happened to them before and they realize that this is this is the lord they 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 perceive that the, the this man that they hadn't recognized is clearly the all-powerful risen lord who has appeared to them twice before and they they haul in this catch of fish 153 in all um John concludes that this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first reading is the first account in the book of Acts of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Um, I suppose you could quite easily speak to the fact that Paul or Saul had no recognition as to who Jesus Christ really was. He was persecuting and murdering his followers. Uh, he's on the road to Damascus and the Lord appears to him. Why are you persecuting me? Uh, Saul immediately recognizes that this is the very one he was persecuted is persecuting is now alive, risen and powerful. Um, Ananias then um, is called to, to, to announce to Saul or Paul what his calling will be, and that is to proclaim the name of the Lord to the Gentiles and to their kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So the, those able to see who Christ is and what he has done will multiply through the, through the ministry of the apostle Paul. And then, of course, the, the sermon text is the second reading from the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Uh, the key verse, it would seem, is worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And John, of course, as he does 60 times throughout the book, says, uh, then I looked, then I saw so he sees that which the Lord has made plain to him and through what he writes down, and we get to read this as well, the, the victory and the power and the wealth and the wisdom and the strength of the lamb who was slain. Great. Thanks for that overview and, and starting to connect the dots for us between these lessons and seeing some of the themes that are emerging here uh, from each of them. Uh, Aaron, let's go next to you. Um, and I'll kind of uh, open the door for you to comment on the second reading or uh, from Revelation 5 or get us into a discussion of that and start us off. Yes, just some, some thoughts on it, uh, John. Um, it's always so wonderful to go in the in the Easter season, uh, usually to the the writings of John, First John, uh, several several lessons from the Book of Revelation are there in the in the three year series uh, where the Lord uh, the Lord gives us that that invitation to consider uh, Christ as as He now is. I think so much of uh, what we read in the lessons today seems uh, kind of like small ball. Um, Jesus asking the question, do you have breakfast? Um, there's 153 keepers. Uh, might be the catch of a lifetime, but, but still, it's, it's, only, it's only fish. Um, Paul knocked off of his horse, led him into a city, baptized by a disciple named Ananias. All of that, all of that seems so very uh, everyday to us. Um, 
yet what we have here in, in Revelation, the Lord really um, sight triumphs over blindness as he sort of opens the curtain and gives us just a, a bit of a vignette uh, into the, the heavenly realities, unadulterated recognition of who Jesus is. I think my, my encouragement is, as we, we think of preaching on this section from Revelation, uh, is not to get too Bible classy with it. Uh, I think our members would be very happy if we would do that. Uh, you can go back earlier in chapter 5, the seven horns, uh, symbolic of, of the Lamb's omnipotence, the, the seven eyes of his omniscience, uh, etc. Uh, but, but to really take the 40,000 foot view uh, of this text, that it is pure, unadulterated doxology, praise uh, to the Lamb that was slain, praise for who Christ is and what Christ has done. And the doxology here of Revelation is certainly orthodoxy uh, because it is so absolutely uh, Christ-centered. Uh, one thought I had in our, in our day and age where, where divisions are everywhere we look, uh, to think that, that those people of every nation and tribe and, and people in language, whatever uh, we have that, that unites us to other people in this life, also divides us from some other people in this life. And to note that, that here in this text, uh, all of those earthly divisions are absolutely swallowed up. Uh, in the cosmic Christ, as, as the hymn in the supplement Christus Paradox talks about, uh, that Christ is, is all and in, in all at that point. And then to notice in, in your sermon, um, I'll think of musically of, of a crescendo. The volume is going up and up on this new song, the song that begins uh, with the four living creatures and the elders back in verse 8, the song uh, that is joined in then by the, the angels in verse 11. And finally, all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth um, are praising the Lord by the end of the song, uh, once again uh, for the lamb that was slain. Um, you know, ultimately the, the gospel is, I guess, the most practical thing that, that any of us have um, that it's, it's not a, a how-to manual for living, uh, but it is indeed our key to living uh, the Christian life, and it is our key to the eternal life. And uh, I think this, as I say, uh, this text, better than, than many others, opens our eyes to, to see that uh, the wonderful nature of, of the worship of heaven and uh, by the blood of the Lamb, our, our part in it. Yeah, so many uh, rich verses. I think you've you've hit some highlights there, Aaron. Um, I like your phrase, uh, unadulterated recognition of who Jesus is. And yeah, that, I think that's a good summary for this text and what is so uh, astounding about it, this, this vision of people seeing with perfect clarity uh, who Jesus is and expressing that then with perfect clarity too. Um, Great. Uh, so I'll open it up to uh, Paul and, and Caleb then as well. Um, thoughts specifically about uh, Revelation 5, maybe how it relates to the other lessons and how you would preach it in that context or how it uh, expresses that theme we're focusing on this week. Um, thoughts about that beautiful song of praise or those who are singing it there in Revelation 5. Um, 
I'll, I'll start. Um, Aaron, you used the expression not to be too Bible classy. Um, and I think that you could to a certain extent, and that is that people are going to have questions where they may major in, I would call it a minor, who are the four living creatures. And I, so you could, you could go through here. There are several possibilities that get suggested. Um, and maybe there's, we even end up with something we're still not certain exactly who those four living creatures are, but what is, what is real clear and, and not only to sight, but to our ears is what's put before us um, as the one who's at the center of the throne, uh, that this is the lamb who was slain, the, the one who shed his blood to set his people free from death. And, and even that, I think you could run with a little bit. What, what's the point of a lamb shedding his blood to set his, to set his people free from death? Well, that's the, the, the Passover lamb fulfilled. But I, and I'm not, I'm not speaking against what you said, Aaron, because eventually I think you get to that, which is just so that you, you get, you work through. So here's, here's some details in the text, but then the, the thundering praise for the one who's at the center, um, angels and elders and the four living creatures, perhaps that is the, 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 these cherubim that Ezekiel also saw and they rule over everything. And that last verse, I loved how you said that verse um, 13, it's, it's everything praises the one who is at the center for his power and wealth and wisdom and strength that that's so clear and so obvious. Yeah. It's not a how to for how we, how we live, but it does affect everything about how we live that we have this, this confidence that we can see this in faith and, and obviously join in, in praising him for that as well. So there could be a little Bible classy stuff that you lay out maybe early on before, the, before what just becomes overpowering in, in praise of him. Sure, Aaron, you wanna respond to that? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you say there, Paul. My my point is is that people, when it comes to revelation, just revel in in every little detail. And I, I think that at, at this point, uh, don't don't be looking at all of the individual trees to the degree that you you lose the sight of of that grand forest. I, I think of a. Uh, Perhaps a purpose of my sermon where I to preach it would be to to just uh, just allow people or invite people to to lose themselves in the gospel of of the Lamb that was slain for them and and to lose themselves in the in the person of Jesus that that thought that the one that that receives the praise and adulation of the hosts of heaven and and all creation that he's one and the same that's that's cooking breakfast down there on the beach of Galilee uh, for his disciples, for their comfort and, and for their sustenance. So yes, deal with the details uh, so that people aren't, aren't asking so many questions uh, while we're trying to deliver the goods, uh, but make sure we do deliver the chief goods of, of the text. Great. Caleb? Yeah, and mine was, um, to, to all of those things, it kind of more just leads into, it seems every time I preach on Revelation, I'm wrestling with how much to deal with the apocalyptic nature of the, the language versus the context close to it in the chapter. 
And then you have the context, especially in, with the chapter being the John's, John's weeping in the verses right beforehand and, and the future, which is so closely connected to the context of this Easter season. Um, and really, that's kind of just a picture in and of itself of all of life and everything that we have to hope for eternity. So um, I guess this is not really a conclusion or a comment to anything different than what you said, except I just always find myself wrestling with how much to how much can I touch on these things without, um, yeah, without missing the forest, as you put it, Aaron. And, um, and I don't know if I ever get over that. Um, but that in this way, though, all of those contextual, various contextual questions, finally, um, got to make some preacher decisions to wh which ones are we going to point to that are ultimately going to help people see Christ in, in this text. And, and, and I think any of those especially the, the future context of the previous verses in this chapter. And in addition to the whole, the fact that this lands right in the Easter season um, might serve the preacher well, but yeah, those, those aren't easy. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what, what Aaron said to lead off um, just the caution against being too Bible classy it, as you deal with the, can we say it this way, as you deal with the details in the text and kind of, uh, expound on them a little bit because people are naturally curious about them always have in mind the goal for doing that it's not just increasing their bible trivia knowledge or even their knowledge of revelation though you know we can say hey this is god's word those are worthy goals but as you're preaching on it say yeah how is my explaining this particular detail going to lead me back to the main overarching theme of this section uh the praise of the lamb who was slain and who now lives again um, yeah, can we can we say let those uh, details be explained in service to that main main thought, Aaron? I was going to say, you know, not the the specific uh, context of how many horns or eyes does the lamb have, uh, but the grander context or revelation of the church that's persecuted. Uh, that this is is an open window for us to see for uh, a vision to triumph over blindness that in spite of everything uh, that we are experiencing here Paul was was going to Damascus uh, to persecute real believers in Jesus Christ uh, that what we have here in Revelation 5 uh, kind of dispels all those doubts and fears uh, that the original readers of this book would have about uh, is the church even viable um, with all of the persecution that it's it's facing in the Roman world of that time. So I, I guess that's a bigger contextual point uh, that maybe is more apropos to the to the uh, theme of the week. Great. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that the whole purpose of Revelation itself, to give the, the vision of the church triumphant to the church that is now militant and uh, in the midst of suffering. Great. Paul? One of the notes I came across in it, with at least the notes that I have in Revelation tend to be leaning heavily on Professor Becker is that Revelation um, establishes a mood. Um, and, and the mood is of victorious. It's uh, the, you know, the prayer of the day mentions the joy of, of um, I, I had it in front of me earlier. Um, Granting your people gladness of heart and the hope of eternal joys, um, that the and it, uh, it it the the mood is destroyed if I think that I can parse through every little detail and every every symbol yeah and every number of horns and etc. But when I see when I see this as a whole, it's um it's 
it's clearly a resurrection mood. It's an Easter season mood. It's a, uh, it's a mood that uh, even with what I hear on the news about now, now this is happening with religious freedoms of Christians, or this is a setback for the church or seemingly a setback, or this is what makes it hard for me to confess my faith as a, as a child of God. No, the mood is actually the lamb is at the center of the throne and he's encircled by including us that we, we can praise him for this great victory. And yeah, that it, the, the idea of seeing this, what seeing what John saw is um, it, it, it really lifts us up and, and um, lifts up those that are going to hear a sermon preached on this. Yeah, thank you. Right. Easter mood, right? Uh, yeah, it, it, the victorious Christ, risen Christ, and granting people the sight of that to lift them up, encourage them, build their faith. Um, so how might you were maybe kind of suggesting this, Paul, um, or let me just build off of something that you said by with a question, how would you handle a malady uh, in this text. Um, so we're looking for, as we work on a sermon, uh, identifying um, a, a sin-caused problem or a call for repentance. Um, how would you approach that in a text like this? Um, as often happens, I, I keep kind of shifting my thought on this, but uh, I guess recently, malady as in the the, the mourning, the lamenting, the, the, the setbacks that the church is experiencing, the, the, um, the you know, it's, it's not just in the first century that Christians feel, face hardships and difficulties. Um, each of us who follow him will carry our cross, but lamenting that and maybe even um, that 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 that's this, this weight upon us that um, somehow this lamb who was slain, he's being, he's being sent to the periphery um, and, and we've, we've got to deal with as, as the church, all of these hardships, uh, persecutions for that matter. Um, the, the, the cure to that of course is to see he's, he's not in the periphery, uh, he's sitting on his throne. He's at the center of all things. Um, in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. He's right in the middle of all that. Um, and he's, he's th this lamb who was slain by that, by that being slain and the resurrection that follows, he's, he's victorious. So, um, and again, maybe that's the, what's, what's the mood of the church nowadays? You know, is that an opening question? What's the, what's the mood of, of Christians in living in the United States of America or living in Western North Carolina? Um, well, when you see, uh, you know, I, I guess you can take it from there. When you see what John saw, you recognize it's, it's pretty joyful. It's, it's a celebration. Great. So contrasting maybe the, the sight of what surrounds the church, uh, the apparent state of the church, with this is the, the reality uh, depicted in Revelation 5. It's the victory of the Christ. Aaron? 
I, I don't know if it's really a malady, but maybe it's a, a way of getting after that concept. I, I think that paradox that Christ is at, at one and the same time victim and victor, um, you can really go, uh, you can get some homiletical mileage out of, out of the paradoxes of victim and victor. I think of that long list, that, that uh, power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise, um, all of that belongs to Christ by right because of his person and because of his work. Uh, the world is, is not going to, to give any of that to Jesus willingly. At, at the end of time, the, the knee will bow indeed uh, at judgment. Uh, the world isn't going to give it to him. And if I, if I look at that list in my life, uh, those things which are Christ by, by right, uh, the wealth of the world belongs to him. Uh, why in the world is, is then uh, giving up my wealth to him such a, such a difficulty? Um, he is pure wisdom uh, in and of itself, uh, yet why is his word so, so often um, left unused in my life? And you can go right down that list and uh, see all of those things that Christ has called out for with pure praise and eternity has been so desperately lacking in my view of him uh, in, my, in my life this side of eternity. Great, yeah. yeah Maybe that's more specific law application rather than malady, but... No, I think it's, it's picking up um, from the text itself, yeah, suggestions for uh, something in the backdrop here. We, we see uh, plainly Jesus' victory, what he is worthy to receive, um, but what is the backdrop of that? What's the story behind him being slain? Um, I think we're getting into that and picking up um, ideas for that from the words of the text themselves. Uh, Caleb? So the, what Aaron just mentioned before, the fact that he is worthy to receive all of these things, inherent in all of these things that we are not always in our, according to our sinful nature, willing and eager and able to, to give to him. Also in the context of this sight over blindness, can I really, and do I always perceive the fact that he is worthy to receive these things as opposed to all of the other worthy aspirations that are competing for that first place priority in my heart, life and time and schedule, et cetera. So, uh, so the implicit question kind of is, well, what, what is it that makes him worthy of receiving, you know, there's the, like you noted before, Paul, the, the catisma, the all, everything it just, it's kind of like, yes, all the things uh, type of word. And what, what is it that makes him worthy of that to even maybe help a challenge, a, a malady challenge might be um, for the preacher to get people to check whether or not we can even see our uh, our filter, our lens per se, of what enables us to ascribe worth to the wrong thing. Can we even see that um, as a, as opposed to what makes Jesus worthy of of receiving all of this? And at the center of it all is He's not just the Lamb who's victorious, or or a different type of creature that looks tri triumphant, um, or 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 strong, but He's the Lamb that was slain. He bears the marks of His suffering and death. So that even as he's on the throne, those those purposeful and meaningful centers of Christianity still breathe meaning into our forgiveness and our eternal victory as well. So I, I think that even, maybe there's a chance to even get further into not just the failure to to see that or the failure to give him those things, but do I even see it? Perceive what he is worthy to receive. Okay. Great. So yeah, getting one step kind of behind uh, what we have given or not given to. Christ. 
uh, getting into our attitudes and our perceptions that might lead into those failures to give him what is his due by right. Okay. Um, addressing points of specific gospel, I mean, maybe a lot of these have come out already in our discussion just because they're so upfront in the text, but um, any suggestions for preachers to use the, the specific uh, color of the text to proclaim the gospel this week? Aaron? I would, I would go back to that element of, of paradox of victim and victor, of uh, see where he is now in the courts of heaven and dial back that the, the one who is, is the lamb of all power um, relied upon Mary and Joseph for his protection, that the one to whom the wealth of the world belongs uh, didn't have a, a place to call his home. Um, the one who's, who is all strength uh, holds the stars in their choruses, stumbles under the weight of, of wood. And you, you can go down with each and every one of those words and dial back into the, into the life of Christ and find some really poignant scenes of, of his active and passive obedience for us uh, that leads up to that grand chorus in, in eternity that he is the lamb uh, that was slain. Couldn't, and could we even add to that list of paradoxes just uh, the word lamb uh, itself, that Christ is pictured as a lamb here? Um, I, now granted, earlier in this chapter, we also have him as the Lion of Judah, uh, which is you know comes across as a picture of strength and authority. But here, as he's being praised and acclaimed by all creation, he's the lamb. Um, again, evoke, yeah, as Paul mentioned, evoking the Passover, the victim, is now the victor, uh, and not only a lamb, but a lamb who was slain. Um, the, the weakness that he displayed, but it was really in showing weakness, uh, displaying his greatest strength, too. Uh, other thoughts about uh, proclaiming the gospel from this text? Just the, um, the, where, where we're preaching, there's this banner that has, the Easter banner has the lamb on it. So I, we, we talked earlier about, I, there was a previous preacher's podcast about your particular setting often impacts, and your audience as well, impacts how you preach this. But that is so there it, that those who are listening to this are seeing this lamb. Um, to I, I think I'm just kind of doubling on what you said, that this, it's uh, the Passover lamb, uh, uh, an unblemished, innocent, one-year-old lamb. What a sad thing that that lamb would have to be sacrificed. Obviously, the greater sadness is the, the innocent lamb of God is sacrificed, and what a, what, a, what a bitter pill that would be. And yet to recognize that the blood of that Passover lamb saved people from death. The blood of the Lamb of God saves us from death um, and gives us an opportunity, as we see that, then gives us an opportunity now to recognize this. It's, it's yes, it, it's, the word paradox comes again, that how can a lamb sit on a throne? Well, this one does. And here's, here's what scripture has revealed about him who, who um, to whom all, Power and wealth and wisdom and 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 um, etc. All the all the, all seven of those is given. Um, 
Yeah, Weakness has become strength. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the paradox um, is is fulfilled in Christ. The victim has become the victor. The the weak one has displayed his strength in the ultimate way. Aaron, I was going to say another possible way of getting to the gospel in in this text, uh, maybe a bit of an artsy way, not so much sight, but but the world of sound is the in the immediate context. This is is part of the new song. Um, that new song that you hear of seven times in the book of Psalms that has nothing to do with chronology. I always irks me a little bit whenever you hear about a contemporary uh, song, something that's written in the last year as being a new song. No, the new song of scripture always has to do uh, with the revelation of, of Christ's righteousness, the, the revelation of our salvation in him. Um, Think of all the think of all of the old songs, the ugly sounds that, that are there in life, the the cacophony of idolatry uh, that we engage in our our life, the the whines of the sinful nature, the uh, the sounds of of bombs, etc. There there's just so much ugliness to the sound of the world in, in which we live and in which we engage in, and in in this vision, all of that is is swallowed up in the new song, uh, which is all about the Lamb and all about salvation in Him. Excellent, yeah. So the, the sound that we hear, uh, so to speak, coming off the page in Revelation 5 drowns out every other sound. Yeah, cool way to, to preach the gospel there. Uh, Caleb, you had a, a thought in this regard also? Yeah, maybe another way of, of carrying out the paradoxes is by is maybe maybe going back again to that that worthy word. So if everything in life is trying to pull up from us something and it's easy for us to give worth to that, it's ironic to look at how that's never going to give to us um, only what God can give to us for that is only leading to a type of temporary power and strength and worldly wealth, etc. And yet the only one who is actually going to is worthy of praise is the one who laid down his life for us um, and still bears those marks. So even um, just the, the, the fact that it's the lamb who was slain, um, there's, Aaron mentioned the word mileage. Um, I think there's, there's, there's plenty there just in the lamb that's slain. This is, he's worthy because he laid down his life for you. Um, and, and he still stands at, as the victor, not just as, as the victim itself. Excellent. Yeah. So many opportunities uh, for just crystal clear gospel proclamation in this text. Um, two things that came to mind as, as uh, uh, you guys were bringing out some of these aspects of the gospel. Um, this provides part of the text, at least for the familiar hymn or canticle, this is the feast of victory. Um, and, you know, uh, of course, a lot of people will catch the obvious connection um, if you're singing that maybe as a song of praise on this Sunday or throughout the Easter season, but that might be worth a mention too, um, just to remind people, here's why we, we sing that little bit different song during the Easter season. It's to bring out uh, verses like this from Revelation and uh, the song of praise to the lamb who was slain and who rose again. And uh, I think, Paul, you mentioned the, the lamb artwork that might be in our churches or on uh, a pyramid or a stole or something like that. Yeah, I've learned um, that, you know, you can't always take for granted that people know the meaning of those symbols or that they even kind of connect the dots. They see the picture of a lamb, but um, it might be worth 
mentioning that in a sermon, or if you do a children's sermon, that's an easy thing to, to point out too. If you have lamb artwork, just point out why we do. Um, and uh, it's because Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world by dying, being slain, but now he's alive again. So it might be an opportunity just to physically to point to something right there in front of people's eyes to make that connection. Um, any suggestions for uh, simple outlines that you've used, uh, themes for a sermon based on this text, um, or some idea that you've got that you're kind of working on for a possible theme or outline? I, I've, uh, it's just, it's easy pickings here, uh, a theme or theme thematic point. The, the lamb is worthy or worthy is the lamb. Um, put, put that front and center. Uh, that's a statement that declares something. Uh, and I, I, like our sermons, we want them to be, it, um, it fronts, it front loads who we look to in, in all of our lives and who we look to in, in whether it's, whether it's formal worship or how we live our lives, that th there he is. Um, I, I don't want to get on a hobby horse here, but so much, so much preaching is, is, is maybe overly listener centered. It's all about you. And this, this is, well, we're, we're involved here. We, 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 we but it's, it's really all about him. And what a comfort that is, what a joy that is, um, that the, the focus is on him from the start. So that's certainly not complicated, um, but it puts the lamb right there. We're worthy as the lamb. And obviously a theme, a theme that's laid out in a typical sense is not gonna name all seven of those things, um, but the sermon certainly could. Yeah. Yeah, you can get into then, a why Jesus is worthy, why the lamb is worthy of this um, uh, extraordinary praise. Um, and then that leads you right into the, the gospel, the aspects and the facets of the gospel present in the text. Uh, any other suggestions for themes or um, even seeds of ideas? I think I had, have preached on this text before. I think I used the theme, Jesus is worth it once. Um, so maybe a little less formal than worthy is the lamb, but yeah, trying to just uh, get into the main idea. Uh, what does Jesus deserve to receive? Um, well, he did not deserve to receive being slain, but I think I use that as an opportunity just to, to preach kind of the law and the gospel in response to that. And then what is he worthy to receive because he was slain and lives again? Um, and getting into the praise that uh, all creatures are giving him here in this text. Uh, Caleb? Yeah, a, kind of a working theme that I have down is, um, is a worship is an all or nothing uh, type of thing. And the idea there is it, it enables people to kind of see that all of our life is worship. And, and we can, there's plenty of passages that were refer to it, um, that whatever we're doing, we're giving glory to God. But then also maybe this provides a wonderful opportunity for the preacher to, um, to highlight worship itself on Sunday morning as, as part of the momentum for the rhythm of all of life that helps us center our eyes, our all, our, our strength, our wisdom, everything on the lamb um, who was slain. And that totally changes the way that we perceive 
the world, our life, our future, which is only in his hands as he holds the scroll, whether that's mentioned or not, because those are the previous verses. But um, so worship is an all or nothing thing. Um, there's the aspect of it's all creation. Um, and those numbers, I think you could, you could the thousands upon thousands. So angels and all, all the world and, and the elders, there's, it's, a, it's he's worthy of everything from us to receive all from us. And then you could get into the, the all that he, on account of what? Well, the all that he gave um, through, through him who was slain. Um, that's a, a basic rough emphasis on rough outline. Okay. Okay. No, that's useful. And it, well, I think it'll help get the gears turning for uh, preachers as they work on this text. Um, just to close, uh, kind of thinking in terms of um, appropriation or application, um, some, some key things you would like listeners to take away from uh, a sermon, take home with them. Um, anything come to mind as you look at this text? I mean, what occurs to me is that this is kind of appropriation heavy uh, in the sense that it is all about Christ and his work. And I mean, you know, the, the focal point is the lamb who was slain and who is now exalted. Um, so that leans me in the direction of, of more appropriation than application, but do any, any applications suggest themselves as you think about this text, Aaron? I just think you could go for a while in the pulpit. I, this text yeah, to quote the, the Christmas hymn, oh, that we were there, oh, that we were there. Um, you know, hearing that, what, what, what's that experience going to be like someday? That right now, in, as, as the redeemed of Christ, we're, we're tucked away between the now and the not yet. Um, going back to the, the theme of the, of the Sunday, um, you know, victorious, sight is victorious over blindness. I look around me, I I. I I believe in Jesus. Practically speaking, does it does it make a a lot of difference for me when I go to work on Monday morning and I say I have the same boss uh, who's been a jerk to me every day at the factory for for the last eighteen years? Uh, what difference does it really make um, as a redeemed child of God that um, yeah third Sunday of Easter we're going to live life with two feet in this world, uh, but lo and behold. Our, our sight is always on the on the Lamb in heaven, um, and I, I, you know, typically uh, this time of year, Easter time, um, we've gone through that period of of the year where uh, invariably some members of our congregations uh, go to to participate uh, intimately in the uh, in the heavenly choir. Uh, people are going to be drying tears out there as they as they think about the losses. Uh, that they've had uh, in the last couple months, and so once again to point those that that are living in the in the here and now to the to the not yet the this this victorious vision that we have in Christ. No matter how bad the persecution um, or a personal uh, point in in life might be at any given time. Yeah. So the vision we're given in this text, uh, altering our perspective uh, as we live out our lives here and now, right? All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, guys, for your discussion today. I think we've given uh, preachers, hopefully, a lot to think about and um, maybe some different angles. Uh, but worthy is the lamb who was slain. Uh, that is uh, such a beautiful theme for the Easter season and really for every day of a Christian's life. So God bless you, preachers, as you uh, work on this text. Uh, Aaron, final thought? 
One one final encouragement, if you want to get into the spirit of, of this text sometime this week, uh, go to Spotify or YouTube and look up uh, George Handel's Messiah. Uh, the final two choruses of, of that work are Worthy is the Lamb, and then a long Amen chorus. And I, I think it's just the, the crescendo of that piece uh, that ends in the praise of Christ. Uh, amen. Uh, this is truth. And uh, I, I think that'll put you in a, in a great emotional uh, state and in a, a frame of mind to, uh, to write a wonderful sermon of praise to the King. Yeah, great suggestion. I had forgotten about that, but uh, it wasn't too long ago I listened to the Messiah again. And yeah, that is a, an awesome crescendo taken right from Revelation 5 to conclude that piece. So uh, yeah, let that uh, fuel you as you are working through this text. And uh, God give you joy as you proclaim it to God's people. We'll see you next time.